0: Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' Then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my sign. Do not disbelieve, but believe.' And Thomas answered him, "'My Lord and my God.' And Jesus said to him, "'Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed.'" Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may be seated.
1: Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, I ask that today you would grant all those here a special blessing on their family and friends. Fill them with your love and truth. Lord, we come now to your word, and I pray that you would help us to understand it and so be transformed by it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, now we come uh, this Easter to a part of the Bible that should encourage you. If you are here today with any questions about the Christian faith, Celebrated in the passage uh, that uh, we just had read out for us so well is the theme of doubt. Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. And uh, actually he appears uh, most often in the book of John, uh, more often than any other of the Gospels, as a kind of foil to what John is uh, trying to achieve with his writing, which is to get his readers to believe. Now, this is immediately very interesting, I find, because you and I, we live in an age of doubts, of skepticism. But on the other hand, we also live in an age of faith, of religion. Uh, You only need to turn on the news on TV or read CNN online and discover the latest religion-fueled barbaric act. Now the strange thing about our modern world is not secularism as such. The strange thing is that faith is growing. But, of course, the question we have to ask is whether it is the kind of faith that Jesus would celebrate. And to doubt that is not a bad thing. Doubt, according to the Bible, is not always bad. Uh, Thomas is not rebuked here for his doubts, or if he is rebuked, it's not a very strong rebuke. And uh, while Thomas uh, represents this sort of um, worldly skepticism throughout John's Gospel, Thomas is still one of the twelve, Jesus' inner circle. And his story is recorded for us in John's Gospel. I begin this way because it would be natural, I think, for you to assume that my aim as a preacher today is to get you to believe or to confirm the faith that you have or to turn you from doubt to faith. But I think it would be equally accurate to say that actually my aim as a preacher is to get you to doubt, to doubt your doubts. And to only put faith in what is really true. And so today we are simply going to look first at Thomas and then at us. First, Thomas. And as you look down at the Bibles or in the uh, worship folder, where you can see the scripture passage too. This is really from verses 24 through to 29. So it's a wonderful story there. Uh, it's a story of what made uh, Thomas doubt and then what what helped him believe. And uh, what made Thomas doubt was, of course, that he hadn't seen himself, Jesus, risen from the dead. So he wants evidence. Now, as I say, this should immediately encourage us all because what John is doing by recording this demand for concrete evidence is he's telling us that such concrete evidence exists. You see, Thomas was not predisposed to believe in the resurrection. He didn't come there going, oh yeah, I'm sure it's going to be true straight off. He's a practical man and he knows that people, after they've been brutally murdered, as we remembered on Good Friday, nails driven through his hands, spear driven into his heart, sealed up in a tomb, people do not normally just get up and start walking again. It doesn't happen. And so, of course, it's reasonable for him to demand evidence. So you say, what made Thomas doubt? Well, what made Thomas doubt was that he was being asked to believe something that did not fit into his faith structure. He assumed, given what he already believed, that people did not rise again from the dead. Oh, yeah, sure. Jesus, throughout the gospel, has indicated that he would rise again, but but. Probably, surely he meant that just spiritually. It's a sort of spiritual renewal. I mean, after all, how could someone rise again from the dead, literally, physically? And so, Thomas doubts because he wants extraordinary evidence to believe in an extraordinary event. He's being risen, reasonable. But he is open. I want you to notice that about Thomas's doubts. You know, I find there are some people uh, I've come across in my uh, time as a pastor who say that they want evidence, but really uh, what they're asking for is an excuse. They're looking for reasons not to believe. They want God to sort of jump in a hat and do a miracle for them right there and then. Well, John's gospel has been very clear about that attitude, actually, uh, the light that Came into the world, but people did not believe in it because they loved darkness, for their deeds were dark. But Thomas is not like that. He is ready to believe as long as there is evidence, which, from my point of view, is entirely reasonable. What then made him uh, actually believe? Well, uh, the straightforward kind of quick answer would be to say that he was given what he, what he uh, asked for. But actually, that kind of quick answer, that there's something a little more profound going on than that. Let me show that to you. So when Jesus appears, he does exactly what he'd done previously when he first appeared to the disciples in the story uh, just beforehand. It's actually a mirror image of the event that uh, had just taken place. So, again, he comes and stands among them. It's uh, a supernatural standing among them because the doors are locked. Uh, And so, you know, the disciples are frightened. Uh, They think they're going to be persecuted. So they've locked the doors. They're barring the windows. They're hunkering down. And Jesus supernaturally stands among them. And he says, peace be to you. That's Jesus' typical greeting. "I, I come to give you peace. He offers them peace and freedom from anxiety with the power and presence of his own person. Now, this is not peace as in the absence of difficulty. This is peace as in the presence of the power to overcome difficulty. A peace I give you, but not as this world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be frightened. And then when Jesus appears this time to Thomas... Eight days later, John very precisely tells us that is the very next Sunday, one Sunday to the next Sunday, counting inclusively as they did very often in those days, Jesus says exactly the same thing. And what I want you to notice is that Thomas does not immediately worship Jesus. You can imagine what a a, a man like Thomas, who's a sort of practical man of the world, what what that kind of person was thinking. Is this a ghost? Is this a trick? Am I hallucinating? Did I have uh, too much Passover matzah balls last night? But then Jesus speaks. And what he speaks is precisely answering what Thomas had requested. In other words, at that moment, Thomas realizes that he is not dealing with a mere man. He is dealing with the sovereign Lord who hears everything he says, answers every true need of the human heart, knows his words even when spoken in a locked room and speaks now and answers those words that he could not possibly have known except that he has the risen Lord himself present before him. You know, one of the wonderful things about being a preacher is you get an inside track sometimes to see this kind of thing. You prepare a sermon on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you say certain things, and then someone comes up to you on Monday and says, were you spying on what I was thinking that week? And you say, no, Because the sovereign Lord knows exactly what are the questions on your mind and your heart. You came in this building. I don't. He does. And he knew what Thomas was saying. And then he says to him, do you believe because you have seen? Now that's a question, not a statement. Because the truth is more profound. Thomas saw Jesus, but he did not recognize him as God. Until Jesus spoke the words to him that only God could have known. Then Thomas worships him. My Lord and my God. Jesus, he is saying, is the incarnate son of God risen from the dead. So this is Thomas. Thomas is a sort of practical, down-to-earth kind of guy. And he wanted to believe only what is true. And I say, you know, it seems to me quite right too. And in a sense then, what I want to say to this morning as I want to encourage you to doubt your doubts is would you doubt along with Thomas? That is, let me just throw out some, some uh, ideas for you here. Perhaps you are saying this morning as you came into church, you know, I find it very hard to believe that there can be only one true God. There must be many different kinds of religions, all worshiping God in their own kind of ways, and it's all really the same thing. But here is the question, why do you believe that? What is your faith structure for that? You know, if you went to the Middle East and said there cannot just be one true religion, they would say, well, why not? You are assuming something. You have a faith structure, but what makes it true? Or perhaps you say, I'm uh, fine with people believing in religion, but I just don't emotionally myself want to engage with it. It It doesn't get me going. There are certain people for whom it certainly does, and I understand that. But for me, it doesn't really connect with me emotionally. You see, what you're saying then is things are only true if they connect with you emotionally. Why should that be true? Or perhaps uh, you're saying, you know, I cannot accept Christianity because I cannot accept that there is any kind of uh, moral law that is the same for everyone, an absolute moral code. I think everyone should be able to do whatever they want ethically, perhaps as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. But why, why should that be the case? You're assuming that uh, the same way that we are able to vote for whomever we want, uh, sometimes you feel some years the options are rather limited, Um, but why then should the same freedom translate into being able ethically to choose whatever you want? What evidence do you have for that kind of idea? So I want you to doubt your doubts. But I also want us to believe and experience the life that John promises is on offer for those who do believe. So he looked at Thomas, why he doubted, why he believed, and now we come second to us. And again, if you look down with me at verses 30 to 31, uh, that's where we are now as we're at this uh, second latter part of the sermon 30 to 31, but really it's queued up by Jesus' words at the end of um, verse 29 where he says there, can you see, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In other words, what uh, John is uh, doing here is he connects Jesus' blessing to his summary of the purpose of this whole book. He's saying, look, Thomas insisted on evidence, that evidence He received, and so now, John says, I've recorded that evidence, and that means that you, we, have it in front of us right now. Now, by the way, if you want to research the historical reliability of the New Testament, I've written a paper on that topic, which is available again today at the back of the the church. Um, Scholars nowadays, by and large except that John was written much earlier than was sometimes thought in the past, particularly because of a famous document that was discovered uh, called the Rylands Fragment, and also because of other technical matters that I will not bore you with. Suffice it to say that this document we have in front of us is reliable, and Jesus is recorded as giving a special blessing. That is a special statement that we, us, are fortunate, blessed, objectively. And therefore, to enter in subjectively, he encourages us to experience the happiness of that fortunate statement, a fortunate uh, situation, if we believe on the basis of the eyewitness account that John records for us. So he says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what what is this blessing? Well, the question we must answer is what does it mean to believe and what does it mean to have life? Now, we've already seen that to believe does not mean to be credulous or gullible. I think it's important to add today that to believe does not mean to be old-fashioned. There's so much rubbish being spoken about the decline of Christianity among young people in America that it's worth correcting a misimpression. It certainly is true that some kinds of religious groups are declining. You can, if you look closely, see churches that were once churches that have become rather nice restaurants or sometimes enormous, slightly garish personal homes. But at the same time, in the last 10 years or so, last 15 years, there's a massive church planting movement throughout this country, throughout the world. In New York City alone, uh, 100 or more churches have been uh, planted by Christians for Africa. An Economist article from 2006 rather amused me. It said that Christianity was collapsing everywhere in the United Kingdom apart from in London, which seemed like quite a big exception. What seems to be happening is that both secularism is rising, yeah, okay, and faith is rising at the same time. you want added evidence for that? That's why we see so much polarization all the time in all our discourse today in the public square sort of fighting. And why, for us, civil conversation is important that we model. We have to respect those with whom we disagree. But it is simply untrue to say that young people today don't believe. It's patently false. There are many thriving and growing churches, particularly among those who are teaching the Bible in our great cities uh, today. As it is also patently false to say those who do not believe are all about to change their minds. Win back the country or something. Jesus predicted himself that his kingdom would grow and unbelief will grow at the same time. Wheats, wheat, and tares. And so faith in Jesus does not mean being gullible and it does not mean being old fashioned. What does it mean? Well, Here we are in John's Gospel, and to answer that fully, we'd have to read all John's Gospel because he uses it a lot in uh, in this book of his. But we can, from the passage we're looking at today, define it in two ways, that it has two aspects to it, both of which are essential to understand and frequently divided but really go together. So there is, on the one side, a propositional, that is, truth, or doctrinal aspect to it so to believe means here to say along with Thomas about Jesus that he is Lord and God it is a truth statement it isn't a feeling it's a proposition so to receive the life then that John promises is on offer for those who believe means to confess a certain truth that is Jesus is God Would you do that? Would you on the basis of the evidence of the resurrection. Recorded for you here. Confess the truth. Objective propositional truth statement. That Jesus is God. It's part of what faith means. There is that aspect of faith. But then there is also a personal aspect of faith. That is personally trusting Jesus. And John indicates that here too, what he says that we may have by believing, you may have life in his name. And the name of someone in the Bible represents their essence, who they really are. To, To have life in his name then means to have trusted Jesus, to trust his name. That is to personally take him at his word, to trust his character, to trust who he is, to lean on him personally. Here's an old illustration that I think still works pretty well about this. It's about a man who Went across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, you know, it's a pretty daring thing to do, to go across from one side to the other, walking on a tightrope, and the crowd has gathered, it's something he's announced, so they're there watching what he's doing, and he goes forward, he comes back, and then he says, well, you know, that was pretty good, they're clapping, he says, do you think I can do it on a bicycle? Well, they say, you know, they shout yes, so they want to see even more excitement, and so he does it on a bicycle, he rides from one side And back again on a bicycle across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And then he says to the crowd, well, you know, what do you think? Do you think I can do that with a large container on my head, balance there in addition while I'm riding on a bicycle? They say, yeah, go for it. We want to see that. And so he does that as well. And he goes across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, riding a bike with a large container on his head. And then he asks the crowd, do you think I can do that with a person, balance inside the container as well? Ecstatic now. The crowd say, yes he then turns to the crowd and asks for a volunteer <laughs> yeah it's one thing to believe it's another thing to actually do something about it When uh, Christianity is socially acceptable, a lot of people believe for merely social reasons, acceptable to go to church, and so they believe in that sense. But what Jesus is asking of us is to trust him with our very selves, So faith is to believe the truth about Jesus, to confess a confessional statement, to be able to say the creed. But it is also personally to trust in Jesus too. Would you do that? Well, you say, that sounds like quite a risky thing to do, what do I get as a result? Well, John tells us that it is life. So what is that? Typically, preachers, especially at Easter, will emphasize that uh, this life is uh, life after death. After all, at Easter, we remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And so presumably, the life that Jesus is talking about is life that we will have, if we believe in Jesus, after we die. But... While it is certainly true that those who believe in Jesus will live forever with him. A marvelous truth. It is not true that this is all that John means by this word life. I'm not going to give all the references in John's gospel. I just want to give you a couple here. Chapter 1 verse 4. In him that is in Jesus Was life. And that life was the light of the world. So life is about Jesus Himself. Chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So, this life is something that when we believe in Jesus and in his word and in God the Father who sent Jesus, we already have. He has passed from death to life. Has eternal life. So physical death then, in this biblical perspective, is for the follower of Jesus. A mere temporary interruption. Or most wonderfully, John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, this life, this abundant life is ours, this fullness of life is ours, knowing Jesus, who is life, which transforms us to experience the life of the age to come now. So that when we die, we continue in our relationship with Jesus forever. Now, the question, of course, is, do you have this life? It's quite interesting to look up uh, the word life in a dictionary see how it's defined there. Here it is. Vitality, vigor, energy, exuberance, enthusiasm, dynamism, and my favorite, fire. Is that what you have? Well, Jesus came to give it to you. Now, there are thieves, there are false ideas, and wrong things, and doubts that you should doubt. But Jesus is not that. Jesus is not one of those. He laid down his life. He took the punishment that our sins deserve, as we remembered on Good Friday. He rises to new life so that, it's for a purpose, so that whoever believes in him, that could be you today, whoever believes in him might not perish but have life to the full now
0: and forever.
1: Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that that is your purpose. We take a moment now to still our hearts and quiet our minds to ask ourselves whether we do have this life. Exuberance, enthusiasm energy, fire. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Our Lord, it is in you that we will find life. Would you stir up our hearts, our minds to trust you, to give ourselves to you, To lean upon you. To put you at the center of everything that we are. We praise you Lord that it is in Christ. And him alone. The risen Lord. That we can have life.